Deep left into the bleachers. A two-run homer. A swing and a miss. Ball game. Liftoff. And history marches on. 22 consecutive wins. From the sports desk of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com, this is Leading Off with Ryan Lewis, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. Santana makes the catch. Ball game. The Indians have won the American League pennant. The Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series. Now, Ryan Lewis and Ashley Fastock. Welcome to Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock, here with our beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. We are back after a week off, Ryan. What did you do in the last, like, two weeks? Uh, Kind of sadly, uh, we finished uh, The White Lotus. Oh, yeah, me too. That show was great. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, The music was such a cool element, and we were reading that it's made – to make the viewer feel like kind of on edge or uneasy, which is a really read, cool element. Um, that was a fun show. You read the Mike White profile then, basically. Parts of it, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's, so I was, I need to read it still, but, um, one of my other favorite podcasts, uh, which is called Still Watching, which is done by a couple of Vanity Fair writers, uh, and they talk about phenomenal television shows. Did, they did a quick wrap up of this series because they're on a little break right now, but we were like, it's too good not to talk about. And my favorite question that was posed in it is, is putting a journalist in your show a good way to get journalists talking about your show on Twitter? Because like the only thing I tweeted about White Lotus, um, and this is not a spoiler alert, as you all know, we are a spoiler free podcast, is that Rachel is a terrible journalist. <laughs> Yeah, and uh my wife, who is a huge Gilmore Girls fan, and she turned me into a fan of that show because that that is a fantastic show. Uh, but she was quick to to notice the Rory Gilmore uh, mention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they they are definitely, I think, the two worst uh, tele fake fake fictionalized journalists that television has given us. Um, but anyways, you know, it's I I just got back personally from. Uh, from a brief vacation for one of my friends who's getting married. So glad to be back and, and getting settled in. But we are actually recording this a day earlier than we normally record this, because if you watched the game on Wednesday, you know it started early, and it was a game that was a very long game because Ryan and I were texting throughout it. It was obviously over three hours long, and I'm convinced that I cursed it because I asked you, do you just want to record this on Wednesday evening since so we don't have to both get up early on Thursday when we just, you know, can't stand to do that anyways? Plus, we had a time crunch. Like, we don't have, you know, we have, you know, plans tonight. You have something to cover. Yeah. Uh, so from a work standpoint, there was a, a window to where this could be recorded. And as soon as it went into extras, that was put into quick jeopardy. Uh, but Cleveland um, failed to get in the free runner from second base. I'm not even sure if that's the right term for the free runner. That seems good. I know some people didn't like the term ghost runner. Um, uh, but I kind of love the term ghost runner. I, I, I did too, but I guess like technically with how it used to be used, it isn't applicable. I don't know. It's yeah. that, That's like the end of the debate scale for baseball. Um, but Cleveland did not get that runner home in the 10th. Uh, Nick Wickren, with the help of a, a tremendous catch from Miles Straw in center field, which is a, a huge reason why Cleveland was so intent on acquiring Miles Straw for so long, uh, made a great play to extend the game. 
Cleveland's offense, again, did not score on the 11th, and uh, Justin Garza uh, was not able to, uh, you know, hold the, hold the Twins at bay for a, a second inning, um, or at least the, the bullpen wasn't able to hold them for a second inning. Um, so that's, you know, a, another loss where, again, the Twins kicked the ball around this series. Um, so for, you know, for Cleveland to to not take the series, considering where they are in the standings and that, they're still on the fringe of playoff contention, but, um, you know, that, that fringe status is, it, it's starting to slip a little bit with, with who they're trailing, both in the division and for a wild card. So a, a, a tough series that ended today with that extra innings loss. So I obviously have not read your walk-off thoughts yet because they are not up, but give the people a little preview. And I guess by this, t- by the time this podcast is up, they will be up and they can go right from listening here to reading those. So, Give let's just say give me a little preview of what's going to be in those on Thursday, August nineteenth. So yesterday for this morning, for Wednesday morning, uh, kind of took a look at starting rotations evolution and you know where it stands moving forward, and uh, and we'll be doing something similar for the outfield heading into next year to where center field again, as I just mentioned, uh, you know Cleveland was intent on you know for roughly a year or so uh, to acquire Miles Straw to kind of solve center field, which the list of guys who have at least played some, you know, games in, in center for Cleveland over the last five or six years is really lengthy, but the corner spots are still uh, an extremely murky situation. There, there, there's some issues with, you know, first a, a 40 man issue with a rule five, which could play, you know, into the, the, the major league side of things with with how Cleveland wants to handle the rule five draft. And then there are issues with guys being out of options next year. So there, there, you know, there are a lot of tough decisions that Cleveland is going to have to make. And a few of them are in the outfield. Um, so we're going to kind of tackle that for uh, Thursday morning. Well, while we were gone, Tristan McKenzie flirted with greatness during Cleveland's 11 to nothing win over the Tigers on Sunday, which, fun story, my flight was on Sunday, my flight home. It was about, like, two hours, and I'm taking off, and it's in the, I want to say, third or fourth inning. <laughs> and I'm starting to see the tweets and obviously the – the ways that sports writers, sports reporters say that somebody is having a no hitter or a perfect game as it's happening without using the words. It's, it's actually pretty great. Like pay attention to that next time one's going on. Uh, and then I landed and saw, I'm like, Oh my gosh, he stayed perfect into the eighth inning before it got broken up. Um, so like we said, he's perfect through seven innings. The Tigers didn't have a base runner all day. And obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that the last Cleveland baseball no-hitter was also a perfect game thrown by Len Barker in 1981. Uh, and with two outs in the eighth inning, Harold Castro was the one who broke that up with a single into right field. Uh, and he was four, Tristan McKenzie, four outs away from, you wrote, making 40 years worth of Cleveland histories. But uh, I want to talk about you gave a different look at this perfect game bid, though, which was what made it so especially unique in that McKenzie was a chatterbox for basically the entirety of that start. Yeah. I mean, he's just a, he's a kid in his early twenties and enjoying the game of baseball. Um, and you know, that, that wasn't really going to change just because he had a, a perfect game going on. DeMarlo Hale noted that, you know, Tristan McKenzie was still cheering on Cleveland's hitters uh, when they were batting. And um, the, probably the funnier part was uh, Austin Hedges who, who caught, that game in between innings, Tristan was wanting to talk to Austin Hedges, you know, about the hitters that were coming up or um, the the previous inning. And Austin Hedges, I think, was in a situation where he's like, I don't know what to do right now. Like, he, if the pitcher's talking directly to you, can you address him? Because that's such a no no in baseball when a pitcher has a no no bid going or a perfect game bid bid going. 
you do not acknowledge him. You do not say anything. All that normally happens is that that pitcher goes to the dugout, he sits on the bench, he often put, he'll put his pitching arm into a, you know, a jacket to keep it warm, and that's it. No talking, no acknowledgement. It's like Fight Club. You don't mention Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club. You don't talk to the pitcher during a perfect game. But if the pitcher is the one who's talking and he's asking you questions, like you have to address him. So it kind of just put Austin Hedges in this, uh, I guess, in the baseball world, a comically awkward situation where if Tristan wants to talk, I guess, I guess it's okay to talk to him. But yeah, he wasn't going to change. He's just, he was just enjoying his, you know, what has been a, a, a tremendous stretch over his last really three starts, but really going forward, he's, or going back, um, even further than that, you know, there have been some, some clunkier outings. Uh, but, you know, for a while, he's, he's definitely turned, well, it's, turning a corner is a difficult, you know, phrase in, in baseball because things are always adjusting, but, um, you know, he's really, uh, you know, adjusted well from his earlier command issues. And over the last six or seven starts, but really, especially over the last three, he's really limited that. I think he has one walk in his last three starts. Um, and, I'm, you know, obviously, you know, taking a perfect game into the eighth inning uh, and coming four outs away is, you know, is, is, you know, his best start at the major league level. Um, so he's, you know, really found some momentum. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we kind of wrote, uh, you know, walk off thoughts a, a few days ago about how he and, and Kyle Quantrill have, have really, you know, separated themselves a little bit from the rest of the group. And this is a fairly easy transition for us to make because you already brought up this story about the the starting rotation outlook and the kind of journey that that has gone through this year. So if you listen to this podcast, you know we've spent a lot of time talking about the injuries to the starting rotation and the mad scramble to remain in playoff contention with a pretty young roster trying to overcome some of those absences. So for the starting rotation, again, a topic we have talked about a lot is balancing younger pitchers developing at the major league level and trying to make adjustments on the fly to stay relevant in a playoff race. So while Cal Quantrill and Tristan McKenzie were kind of the early favorites to fill those last two rotation spots, they both struggled early. But now in the back half of the year, you wrote about how they kind of have separated themselves from some of these other younger pitchers that have made starts this year. Yeah, and it's possible things could change over the last six or seven weeks of the season. It's possible things could change uh, next spring. But, yeah, I mean, there, there was a point earlier in the season when Tristan McKenzie um, was really struggling with his command and was and eventually sent to AAA Columbus, and Kyle Quantrill was relegated to the bullpen. And not he had a rough spring. It's not because of his stat line. It's because he just wasn't throwing the ball well this spring, and he clearly couldn't uh, you know, be thrown into a, a rotation spot, especially with, you know, Tristan McKenzie looking okay going into opening day and Logan Allen just, you know, tearing the Cactus League up all spring. I you know he, he had to be given a shot. And then there was a time, uh, like a month or two ago where Cal Contra was just joining the rotation, but still being stretched out and still really only throwing a few innings each outing. And, and Tristan McKenzie wasn't able to get out of the first inning, uh, you know, in early June and was sent back down again. You know, there's, there was a reason that, you know, Cleveland, when they sent Tristan McKenzie down that second time, um, in, you know, around earlier mid-June, um, they, they were really intent on staying away from him to allow him enough time to completely reset himself. Because uh, there was clearly a, a command issue that had continued to kind of snowball on him in certain outings, and they really wanted to stay away with, from him. So even when another need arose, uh, you know, they, they chose to call up Logan Allen that time, um, even though, you know, Allen was just coming off an injury. Uh, but they were really intent on allowing McKenzie to have some, you know, additional time to completely reset. And it's, it's paying dividends now. 
to where he looks like a, you know, a, a different pitcher uh, than he did a, a few weeks ago. And Cal Quantrill has been among the best pitchers in baseball since the All-Star break. You know, he's, statistically, he's been one of the better five or ten starters in baseball since then. Um, so those two guys have, have had quite the evolution during this 2021 season where both guys struggled early on. You know, Tristan McKenzie was in Columbus. Cal Quantrill wasn't throwing a whole lot in the bullpen. And now both, you know, cl- are clearly in the, the driver's seats, uh, for, for the number four and five spots. Once Bieber, Savali, and Plesak are healthy, of course, it's either looking forward to, uh, you know, late September, maybe mid-September or, you know, 2022, whenever that does happen. But, you know, Quantrill McKenzie are, you know, clearly the favorites right now ahead of Logan Allen, uh, Eli Morgan, JC Mejia, Sam Hentges, and then, you know, anybody else that, that may, climb into that mix, uh, you know, moving forward. Uh, but, you know, right now, in terms of a future outlook, there's there's a pretty clear top five at the moment, which hasn't been the case for quite some time. Yeah, for me, it felt like the Tristan McKenzie just, like, looked and sounded different in that July 9th win over the Royals, which was the, the Bobby Bradley walk-off game. Uh, and that was when I think at the time, it was a career high, career best seven innings pitched for him in that start, and he just looked so calm and focused. And there was a point in that game, in like the second or third inning, where things could spiral, and he was like, "Nope, I just like I knew I made competitive pitches, and I just kept my head in it." And I really feel like ever since that point, in each of these starts he's made, uh, it, it's been pretty pretty consistent with with all of that. Yeah, and it. it- for Tristan McKenzie to really trust that his stuff can work in the zone, meaning he doesn't need to try to paint the corner every single time. And that's something that, you know, Cleveland's coaching staff, you know, pitching coach Carl Willis, that's something that they've worked with on with him all summer. And it, it really just took time to where some guys, you know, just feel like they, they maybe have to be perfect, you know, as a younger starter. And that's, that isn't always the case. And it took time for Tristan McKenzie to have that trust in his own stuff that he can throw it in the zone and, um, you know, just movement, velocity, pitch sequencing, um, uh, attacking hitters, setting hitters up. Um, you know, he's at a point where he can allow his stuff to play in the zone without always having to, you know, try to worry about getting guys to chase too much. Um, where there is a balance sometimes when you're ahead in the count of not wanting to give somebody anything to hit, but also not wanting to, you know, try to be so careful and so fine that you eventually, you know, even out those counts um, and, and and you sort of lose that, that leverage that you had. Um, so, that, you know, that that was a, another form of evolution that Tristan McKenzie has gone under. Um, and, and again, these are both still younger pitchers. Um, you know, they're all, for the most part, younger pitchers and isn't a ton of track record there. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of continued development. We talked with general manager Mike Chernoff uh, this morning, and he kind of mentioned that it's not – uh, you know, it's not just about evaluation over the, these last five, six, seven weeks of the regular season. It's also about continued development and that there's an understanding where, you know, it's not necessarily just like a tryout situation um, in, for different spots around the roster. It's also about development. You know, there, there, there are a lot of fluid, you know, situations because it's such a young roster and, you know, guys are developing on the fly at the major league level to such a, a significant extent around the roster that, um, you know, it's not, it's not just you know, evaluating guys and, and making decisions like that. It's also about development and, you know, trying to, trying to foresee what's, what's coming down the road. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why, again, they'll be facing a lot of difficult decisions around the roster, uh, both ahead of the rule five draft and then again on opening day. 
Well, if you are a regular listener to this podcast, and quite honestly, even if you made it through the first five minutes of this podcast, you probably know that Ryan and I are big pop culture fans. Uh, and sometimes our interests of baseball and pop culture overlapped, like in our baseball movies draft that we did. Uh, and in that draft, obviously, I took Field of Dreams first because I did not want to be fired. And Ryan and I later executed a trade because he stole my favorite movie, which is a league of their own, but it's fine. Um, but anyways, there's a point to all of this, which is to say, let's talk the field of dreams game from last week. So MLB built a baseball field just across the cornfield from the movie set in Dyersville, Iowa. And the game itself between the White Sox and the Yankees was pretty bananas. All of the runs, but one, I think in that game were scored on home runs, including the White Sox walk off two run homer from Tim Anderson. Um, I thought it was pretty Pretty uh, cool to watch, obviously. I had to watch it after the fact because I was on vacation. I just watched it yesterday <laughs> fully all the way through. But I, like, was emotional watching it. <laughs> I guess, like, what did, what did you think about the, the night and the kind of spectacle that it was last week? I thought it was extremely well done yeah. from a perspective, from a broadcast perspective. Um, the aerial shots they had of both both the stadium, the set, um, you know, that, that's still there, the, the, the house and, and the fields. And I thought it was extremely well done. Uh, and then the game ended up being phenomenal on top yeah. of that. The drone shot that they kept, I know they played it multiple yes. times into and out of the breaks, but it was a drone shot, you know, from outside and it goes into the main bedroom and throughout the farmhouse was, I mean, it was just so, so cool. It was expertly planned. Um, it was executed really, really well. And yeah, the the opening sequence with Kevin Costner coming out of the corn was incredible. I got I mean, goosebumps just like talking right, about. It. Right. I mean, we both love that movie. It's it's my favorite movie of all time. I've probably seen it ten or twelve times. Um, Costner's fan. It was also fun to have Costner in the broadcast booth. Yeah, that um, was a fun perspective to have during the game. Um, it was just it was really 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 well done. I can't believe your favorite movie ever. You've only seen tw- ten times. That seems way off. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 guess, I guess it's not really your favorite movie, and therefore the trade we executed back in the spring should be, I don't know, redone, done away with. Field of Dreams is now mine again. I'm the commissioner and a team strapped all at once. But I mean, like, they just, they really, I don't know, they really captured, like, kind of the, the magic of that set and kind of the, the feel yeah. of movie, which is what makes it so great. Like James Earl Jones' speeches uh, near the end of the movie, things like that. They just, they really captured all of that so, so well. Just like, it was just extremely well done by everyone who, who planned and, and executed the broadcast for that game. Yeah. And there is a, a local connection to this game as well, because Medina native Dwyer Brown play, played John Kinsella in the movie. Uh, and he actually talked to our, Jen Pignolet for a subscriber exclusive story that you can go check out on beaconjournal.com. And it just is a really well done story. I don't want to spoil, spoil it. I would just encourage everyone to go, to go read it, uh, because there is that cool local connection with obviously one of the most notable characters in the movie. Yeah, really well done from Jen, um, who at some point may be joining this podcast for a West Wing podcast. I think we we could. She's, we could she's very intent on on 
crashing the podcast. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think we should just have her on and let her pick her top five baseball movies because she had a lot to say during that dra- draft, and I know we did not take her favorite one. So I yeah, think we I, should... <laughs> I was almost nervous going into that draft that we were going to get yelled at. I think we kind of did. She was essentially listening and live tweeting us like her thoughts in real time uh, once the podcast dropped. So uh, Jen, friend of the pod, our colleague, uh, I think we should just in, invite her to come and pick her top five uh, favorite baseball movies. She can kind of repick some of the ones that we picked and um, quite honestly might have better opinions than us. Plus, we won't get vindictive when we draft each other's favorite movies and have to have to steal them back. <laughs> That can be okay. I'm calling it now. Let's do that as like a year end pod. Once mm-hmm. we're once we're done with this, we'll we'll invite Jen to come and talk about her favorite favorite baseball movies, and uh, we'll probably invite her to uh, also talk about what it was like talking to Dwyer Brown because I know she was very very excited as a huge baseball fan and a fan of that movie to to get to do that story. So we'll let her uh, talk about her process a little bit. But all right, you know we made it through after one week off, getting back into the swing of things and. Uh, Nice short, short, quick and quick and easy here talking about some of the pitching situation. So like we said, by the time you listen to this, Ryan's story on the outfield situation should be up already. You can check that out on BeaconJournal.com under the Cleveland Guardians tab. Check out all of his work on Twitter. He's at by Ryan Lewis. I am at Ashley Bastock 42. And until next week, we'll see ya. Go the distance.